Good morning. Good morning, Mary. This is the day the Lord has made. And it is a beautiful day, and you guys look really gorgeous, too. So uh, I hope you're going to enjoy the rest of the day, but we're glad you're here with us to worship as we gather together here. There you go. Uh, here is someone I'd like to introduce to you, and that's Evelyn Goldman, uh, who is going to share our mission moment. As I said, our last service, Evelyn, what's a nice Jewish girl like you doing in a place like this? As I said before, we are all so much more alike than we are different. Yeah. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, we've practiced this already. <laughs> all right. Do I need to use this? I, yes. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for inviting me here. Uh, it is a great pleasure. And you have done already so much. Uh, my husband and I are going to really squeeze into our car because we can't look out of the windows or in the back because we have so many wonderful donated items already. I am here on behalf of Paula Cornell, who is the founder of For the Troops. Uh, many of you know about us. We are about 10 years old, and our claim to fame is we are 100% volunteer. As I've said before, Paula gets an increase from zero to double zero to triple zero every year, and, uh, and the buck stops with her. But there is nobody paid, and that makes us very different than the other organizations. We also send care packages to our troops all over the world. We're sending to submarines, to destroyers, to the deserts of Afghanistan, and we do it all year. And again, that differentiates us from a lot of the other organizations that will be after your money in the next few months. Uh, be, and remember, they're paying for advertisement on the radio. Uh, we do not pay for anything other than for the troops. We operate basically on a 2% of everything that comes in. 98% of the money uh, goes either to purchasing items for the care packages, and I have a sample of a care package out front, or it, it, it just goes for postage. Our postage averages $18,000 every month. Uh, people have said they're surprised that the um, military doesn't do this. Well, they don't. The post office does give us the little boxes, and they are, as often as possible, individually addressed. But we do have to pay the postage, and we are very, very blessed that the good Lord has given us that money every month and more. We do not pay for our headquarters. We have a wonderful 3,500-square-foot facility in uh, Simi, I invite you to visit. We're at Simi and Cochrane and the uh, Sycamore Village. Um, it's a Sycamore and Cochrane. And the uh, owner of that particular area has always sponsored us. We do not pay any rent either. So when I say we operate really lean and mean, we do. Um, we send the care packages to our troops, and I would like to read a letter of thanks. It tells really the reason we're doing this. We get these all the time. We get them from our female troops, we get them from our male troops, and again, I wish I could share with you a picture of a black hawk in the middle of the desert, and all you see is the tents and the sand, and down are coming packages for the troops. And whether Regardless of your political affiliation or feelings, these are all people who are willing to put their lives online 
for us, for our country, and for the world, for the safety of the world. This is a sample of what we get. I wanted to send an email expressing my extreme gratitude for the care package that was sent my way. Being stationed so far away from family and friends while they're going through so much back home has definitely been a hard pill to swallow. However, the care package you sent allowed me that moment of joy that was much needed. I don't do what I do for the thanks. I do what I do because of what has been done for me. Both my parents were active duty military all the way up to their retirement, so I was always in the classes to help send out things just like this. It feels amazing to know and see that it is still being done. I know it's something you don't see directly, but the look on our faces as deployed military members and seeing that someone has thought enough to put these together is priceless. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for the troops for all that you do. And that's why we do what we do. And we are blessed with organizations and churches like yourselves that bring us the merchandise. I invite you to visit us and the points I want you to remember we're 100% volunteer. We spend a lot of money on postage. We do it all year long. And we love what we do because it just comes back to us in such joy. And thank you for joining with us. I hope to see lots of you out front and get to meet you and put you on our email list so you know when we have things going on. And uh, if you have any military that are deployed, please get in touch with us. One person will result in maybe 400 getting it. Once we have someone in a unit, maybe we don't know of that unit, we are then able to work with the chaplains and the military, and we will send to the entire unit. And every package will have a personal letter from a member, a volunteer, and we're very big on sending letters from the children, and they are delightful. They color them and they come up with a lot of cute things. One of the things that did come up, and that was last year, a child put in a dollar. And, and in the letter it said, now we don't know what the family was like, but we did get a, a laugh out of it. And it was, when you come back, have a beer on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave you laughing. Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Thanks a lot. As we're called to worship, may we indeed know that in God's house we lift up our praise and our glory. stand as we join together in this very early Methodist hymn written by our own Charles Wesley. We'll sing the first, third, and fifth verses, number 363, and can it be that I should gain.
At this time, I would like to invite Janet Todd, Chair of our Staff Parish Relations Committee, to share a word about our Staff Appreciation Sunday. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Staff Appreciation Day. And we do truly have a wonderful staff here. So some of you may not know who they all are or what they do, so I would like to tell you. And any of them that are here today, I'd like to have them come up when I call their name. Uh, first, Vinia Pavlov is our business manager. She is unable to be here today. But she is responsible for all the daily office operations, the volunteers. She works with the finance committees, uh, the trustees, the SBRC, Gary and Brian. She oversees all the operations at the facility. So she kind of does need a day off. And next we have Joanna Longo. She is our program secretary. She has been with us since April of 2014. Joanna is responsible for all the print and online materials, generating the bulletins, the flyers, um, all of the announcements of the church, and she does a truly wonderful job, and she does all of this on a part-time basis. Uh, next, Julia Long is our Director of Spiritual Life. Julia began in January 2011. She is responsible for overseeing all the family ministry programs, family life uh, education presentations. She finds leaders for the small groups um, that have the various Bible study classes. She helps to plan the Women's One Day and the Fall Retreat and the Boutique and so many other things with the Women's Council. Again, Julia does all of this on a part-time basis. Uh, next, we have Gloria Hilliard, our Director of Music Ministry. Gloria is our longest tenured employee. She has been with us just about 35 years. <laughs> she directs the Chancellor Choir, the Fishermen, the Celebration Singers, oversees the youth, the directors, as well as the Village, um, Westlake Village Music Society. She finds musicians when it's needed for programs, and in her spare time, she directs the Village Voices. So Gloria is an amazing person. <laughs> we have John Gentry, who is the Director of Youth Ministries and Christian Education. John is our newest staff member. He's been with us since August 2015. Some of his responsibilities are overseeing the Sunday School program, Vacation Bible School, Youth Sunday, all the weekly youth events, works with volunteers, and he goes out to the community uh, at large to actually invite youth to come to our church. <laughs> he oversees the adult workers and youth and Christian committees. There's Karen James, who is the director of our Growing Place. Karen is not able to be with us today, but she started in 2012 in June. She oversees all the day-by-day -day operations in our Growing Place school, publicity, fundraising, maintaining the licensing materials, and so many more things. She has really done an incredible job in our growing place. Nick Newkirk, who is not able to be here today, is the director of the choirs, well, the bell choirs. Uh, he directs the handbell choirs, the footprints, teaching at Pizzazz, he works with the Advent celebration, and he helps conduct the Chancellor Choir when needed. Ron McBain, our organist, has been with us since 2004. He's responsible for accompanying the choirs, playing for services, teaching at Pizzazz, and he assists the music committee. Manuel Plute 
is our second largest, longest employee, and he's been with us for about 22 years. He's responsible for cleaning, preparing every room for worship, for meetings, for weddings, for memorials, as well as hanging banners, cleaning the play yard, and many, many more things. We have two wonderful ladies that work in our nursery school. Patty Boring, our child care supervision. She has been with us since July 2015. She's there every Sunday morning, and she takes care of the children ages three and under. Working with her, Lois Jackson, she's been with us for six, seven years, uh, she takes care of the children three to five. So they have many, many things. She's here every Sunday morning, too. We have an incredible staff. I want to thank you all. You do such a wonderful job. And I do have a gift for all of you. As Gary often shares, he and I have the opportunity, the privilege to, to be the pastors and to, and to pastor here in this congregation. But it's really the 11 staff members, the five here and the six who are unable to be with us this morning, who make this uh, church function and work in all of the things that they do. You hear just the, the surface of all that they give and all the time that they uh, commit to the ministries and the day-to-day the -day workings of this church. And it truly is a blessing and an honor for Gary and I to get to serve alongside of them. But uh, just as you have a chance uh, out on the patio following service, please just thank them. Give them a call this week. Stop by the office. Uh, visit with them. We really couldn't do all that we do here, uh, all the ministries, all the outreach that we do without each and every staff member. So let's give them one more hand and I'll pray. And may we lift them up in prayer together. Glorious God, we give you thanks for each and every staff member, their time and their commitment to this ministry, to their jobs, to all that they give above and beyond what is asked of them. We ask that you will continue to bless their work, bless all that they put their hands to, that you will continue to bless them outside of the church as well, in their lives and in their families. Be with them, watch over them as we look forward to another exciting year together. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. As we continue with an attitude and a heart for prayer, may we join in our prayer hymn. 2152 is found in your black, the faith we sing book. Change my heart, O God.
Lord, we lift up our voice in song, our hearts in prayer, and we ask that you change our hearts, O oh Lord, that we be the clay and you the potter. For this, we give you thanks and praise to know that we come into your presence to lift up our prayers and our praise, our voices and our hearts. Glorious God, we ask that you meet us here as we lift these before you to know that in all things, you are God, that you meet us on the mountain and in the valley. You meet us in the darkness and in the light. You're there for those in the hospital room and those on the street corner. There's nowhere that we might ever go far from your presence, and we rejoice in that. But glorious God, as we go forth in your presence and as we be your community, may we be more than just words, but words and action to continue to share your light and your love, that your grace and mercy abound. For we know that there is a world of hurt people who hunger and thirst, for people who live with the reality of war, for people who've given up hope and live in despair, and so many other things. But God, you call us as your community, as your body, to continue to minister, for we know that as we continue to reach out, you will ever be present in this world. But as we lift up these prayers and as we reach out and, and share in ministry, may we remember to take a moment to be still, to know that you are God, that we come to you for a moment of rest and of peace. So may we come in silence, but for this time. Lord God, we lift up these our prayers to you. May we understand the words that we pray without ceasing to pray for those on our right and on our left, in front and behind, to pray for those within this community, around this country and this world, that we acknowledge the sins that we have committed against you and one another, that in that we might find your grace and your mercy, that we can continue to be a community of faith, so as one community, we lift up our voices together with those around the world who lift up your prayer, the prayer that's been offered throughout the centuries in a multitude of tongues. We too lift ours now together as we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <coughs>
ushers come forward as we receive our morning's gifts, tithes, and offerings. we offer to you our gifts, tithes, and offerings. We ask that you bless and multiply these, that we be faithful to use them for the ministry of your church. Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, and St. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember now, O Lord, I implore you, how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, prince of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Indeed, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by, watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's God's word for God's people. Thanks be unto God. May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for the reading of your holy word and ask now that in this word and in our hearing, they might be the living words that come from you. And as good seed that finds its way to good soil, digs deep roots and brings forth harvest, May now this, the seed of the word of God, dig deeply into our souls and bring to us a harvest unto everlasting life through Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't you hope the sermon won't be as long as the scripture? <laughs> Wrong. Uh, and I just, I had some glasses up. Are these your glasses, Janet? I, I, I thought I had... I wasn't wearing them, I was going to put them on, and I thought I already had them on. <laughs> if I could see without them, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Not too long ago, I was on a commercial airline traveling back east, and during the flight, the problem came up where the plane went through one of these really hard um, difficulties of frightening turbulence. And uh, it was rather a bit scary. And one first-time traveler sitting in front of me thought this flight was going to be his last, and I could hear him praying. Oh, Lord, you know I'm a rich man. If you let this plane land safely, I'll give you half of everything that I own. Now, obviously, the plane landed safely, or I wouldn't be telling the story, would I? <laughs> so as the plane landed, this man was the first man off the plane. And in the terminal, I approached him, and I was wearing my dog collar. And I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, Sir, I was sitting behind you on the plane and I heard your prayer. Well, I'm a man of the cloth and I'm here to collect. He said, You're too late, preacher. I already made the Lord a better offer. I told God that if he ever catches me on another plane again, I'll give him all of it. I made that story up. It's a good story, isn't it? Yeah. But though the story isn't true, I guarantee you the intention is. You know, it's easy to make deathbed confessions and promises. It's much harder to keep them. Now, this is a true story. A few years ago, on Labor Day weekend, I was needing to get some gas. I go down the little Hampshire shell down here. George, if you go down there, everybody knows George. And uh, for the first time I can remember, Every station was filled up. And you know how you can go in either direction now? Your, your gas thing is never on the right side of the car anymore. 
And it was just a horrible line. But I needed the gas, and so I waited. And when my turn came, George came out, and he said to me, I'm sorry you had to wait. He said, I'll never understand it. Why does everyone wait until the very last minute to get ready for a trip they know they're going to have to make? To which I said, George, I know exactly what you mean. It's the same problem in my business. <laughs> everyone knows you're going to die, and yet Few of us make any preparations for the final journey. And it reminds me of the story uh, of the minister who was preaching to his congregation. And he said, everyone who wants to go to heaven when you die, will you raise your hand? And everybody did except for one guy. I think it was Jim O'Dell. <laughs> and I said, Jim, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And he says, oh, I thought you were getting a busload ready to go now. <laughs> In England, there is an old saying about meeting God between the stirrup and the ground, meaning that if you should fall off your horse, you better make peace with God before you hit ground in case you don't survive. Well, we're all familiar with so-called deathbed confessions when in that moment of anticipation of impending death, someone near the end of life at last makes their peace with God. If, as is said, there are only two things which are most sure in life, death and taxes, why do we do so little to prepare for either one? In the book of 2 Kings, we find this account in the scriptures of a deathbed confession. King Hezekiah lays ill in his bed and at the point of imminent death. And the prophet Isaiah comes to him and he gives them the not-so-rosy words, almost last rites. Set your house in order, King Hezekiah, you shall not recover. That's cheery news you want from your local prophet, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, Hezekiah, though, fervently prays to the Lord and makes his confession. He says, O Lord, remember your faithful servant and all the good that I have done. Now, interestingly enough, the prayer that Hezekiah gave did not ask to be saved from death. He asked to simply be remembered for all the good that he had done. But nevertheless, he gets an extension of life. Fifteen years were added to his life. In addition, he received the deliverance of Jerusalem from the hands of the Assyrians. And that's pretty good results from a deathbed confession, if you ask me. Our second scripture is from the New Testament. It records the very familiar, I was going to call it a deathbed confession, be more like a, a death cross confession. It's the story of the thief on the cross who at the moment of death confesses to Jesus his sin and asks Jesus' forgiveness and his love. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingly power. And to whom Jesus responds in perhaps one of the most moving passages, perhaps most eloquent passage, and one of my most favorite passages of the Bible, he says, For I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. What great drama. And this drama has continued in many ways beyond just the pages of the Bible. Many people have attended to at the last moment of life and have uttered their last words which have also been recorded. But how much different have been the words of those who believed in God and those who did not? Thomas Paine, the great American patriot of our country, yet held no belief in God. And at the close of his life, he said this, I would give worlds if I had them that my book, The Age of Reason, had never been published. Oh, God, help me. Christ, help me. But there is no God. But if there should be, what will become of me hereafter? Send even a child to stay with me, for it is hell 
to be alone. Voltaire, the noted 18th century social philosopher and atheist wrote, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. My single hand shall destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. However, at his death, Voltaire said to his doctor, I'm abandoned by God and by man. I will give you half of everything I have if you can give me six more months to live, for I am frightened of death. Napoleon Bonaparte, who ruled nations and the seas, spoke these words near his death. I died before my time, and my body will be given back to the earth. Such is the fate of him who was called the great Napoleon. What an abyss, my deep misery, and the eternal kingdom of Christ. But how much different the words at death of those who knew Christ in life. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, said by the very last words of his mouth, the best of all is God is with us. I say farewell. Mrs. Catherine Booth, wife of the founder of the Salvation Army, told her husband at death, the waters are rising, but so am I. I'm not going under, but I'm going over. Do not be concerned about my dying. Go on living well. The dying will be right. John Huss, reformer and martyr of the church, went at the stake to be burned when he would not recant of his faith to the Duke of Bavaria, said, what I have taught by my lip, I seal with my blood. This is my salvation. Reverend Augustus Toplady, known for his great hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, said as he neared death, the celestial city rises full in sight, the sense of grace becomes clearer and brighter. The book of life is open to the eye of assurance and warms the soul with that robe of righteousness which Christ Jesus wrought. Are these, though, the words just of a few selected individuals? Are these just the words of famous people who at their deathbed were recorded? No, they are the words of many other people. My own third great-grandfather, William Roadhouse, while in Canada, an immigrant from Yorkshire, and an early Methodist preacher in the build of the first Methodist chapel in Peel County, north of Toronto, had the following story recounted of his death in the Methodist Journal by the Reverend Thomas Lawson, who said, I visited him several times, and he was in a happy state of mind. When I referred to his long experience and to the many happy sessions of grace that he enjoyed, he replied, yes, but I have nothing in which I can trust but the atonement of Christ. This is my only plea. On the 4th of November, about 10 a.m., his friends thought he was dead, but in a few moments he moved again. His son William then took hold of his hand and asked him if all was well. He replied, yes, and the Lord has shown me the glory. He lingered a few more days, but was anxious to depart and to be with Christ. During the whole of his affliction, his mind was kept free from fear. We have good reason to believe that though his continued intercourse with God was hard, by faith and by prayer, he was saved from the harassings of the enemy unto the end of a happy and peaceful death which took place at the residence of his son William at 9 o'clock p.m. As a pastor, I come into the lives of people every week who are facing death. But as demanding and as emotionally hard and draining that can be, it is to minister to people and their families at death. I have found the great strength that God has given me to minister to people with love and words far beyond my own abilities to speak 
at such a difficult time. I have sat with some of you as your pastor, with your loved ones, at that moment that your loved ones took their very last breath, and I have prayed with you, and I have cried with you, and I have laughed with you, and I have shared God's love with you, and we've remembered together, and we have seen the power of God's work within our lives. And I want you to know today why God loves you so very much. With a love that goes all through life and a love that will sustain us in death. And I have also been a part of the lives of those who have sought God in their last moments. And I remember the man whom I officiated the marriage ceremony for he and his wife and at the time, he said he'd really like to get back to church, but once I had done the ceremony, I didn't see him. But only when he would be calling me and say that he and his wife were having problems in their marriage. He was drinking heavily. She was afraid. I'd counsel them. Things would get a little bit better. They'd go off. Things would get worse again. They'd call me again. This happened over a period of 10 years. In and out of trouble, drunk driving arrests, wife abuse, squandering money, more drinking. Then I got a call that Richard was in hospital. I arrived at the hospital and I met his wife at the door to his room. And as I asked how he was, she, she just shook her head. When I went into the room, I was shocked. He was always a big man, now down just about 100 pounds. His, his skin was violent yellow from the liver that would no longer work because of all the drinking. His hands were distorted by edema, his abdomen extended from swelling, tubes and machines and monitors working to keep him alive, but he could speak and he knew who I was. And I'm gonna tell you something, in situations like this, you quickly learn that you don't ask anybody, how's it going? <laughs> Hope you'll be feeling better. Or hey, I'll see you next week. You get right down to it. And Richard said to me, I don't want to die. And I said to him point blank, that Rich, that's not up to you, and it's not up to me, but I'm going to tell you what is in your own hands. You can make your peace with God. I said, do you have that peace? He said, I don't know, but I would like it. I haven't lived a very good life, he told me. He said, I was a drunk. I was an awful husband. Is there any hope for me? And I said to him, you're in the right place because God is always the God of hope. And I told him that God's main business was his love. And I shared with him the scripture from the New Testament today, about a sinner on a cross next to Jesus, who in the last moment of his life was able to find forgiveness and salvation. And I recited to him the words of strength that for so many in this time have given them the hope to, no matter what they face, to go on. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And I prayed with him that he might give his confession to God and simply receive in Jesus Christ God's gift of everlasting life. And Rich spoke 
the words, I believe. And I went over to the sink and I got a glass of water and I brought it back in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I baptized him. And I told him the words of Jesus to a thief. I say unto you today that you will be with me in paradise. And in all that I believe in that moment, in that hospital room, that Rich found forgiveness as eternity invaded time, and he found as he had never known before God's love and salvation. I never saw Richard alive again, for he died just two hours later. But I know that I will see him again. But you see, today the question is not really a question about others. It's a question for ourselves. It's a question about our own commitment and recommitment to God, a commitment that speaks to us the truth of the ages, that in Jesus Christ we find ourselves, and at last, finding in him ourselves, we find our peace with God. That in Jesus Christ we overcome death, that we overcome the grave, and that for us it is as we face this that we are able to then face life, in which life is never, ever the same again. I'm going to tell you this. No one on their deathbed has ever told me, I wish I had worked more than I had. No one has ever told me, I have told my spouse to pack up everything and haul it behind the hearse to be buried with me. But I have had many people filled with regrets and unforgiveness and heartaches and sadness who never let it go. And without letting go of that, they could never reach out to take the hand of God. Yes, many people find God at their deathbed, but I want to ask you today, do you know the peace of God? You see, you could leave here today and this could be your last day. Do you know the peace of God? I believe we always need to recommit ourselves to what we believe. And so this morning, we're going to offer a time at the altar for anyone who may wish to recommit themselves to that wonderful love of God that we know, or for anyone that you would like to ask that prayer for someone that you know and love that needs to know that peace. And here's what we're going to do. As we gather here at the altar, you can stand or you can kneel. Brian, Jan Sorensen, and me will be here. We're not going to ask you what your prayer is. We're simply going to pray for you that Whatever you're facing today, whatever in your family that you're going through, that you will know the wonderful peace of God for yourself and for all those that you love and care for. And then I'll just ask you to return to your seat. And we'll join together in our closing hymn. Don't wait. Don't wait. God is here today.
We're here. Come forward if you will. Let us pray for you. And may God bless you. May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for love that knows no bounds, of peace that fills heart and soul, and that having gathered together here today, we have not been here by accident, for it was an appointment to meet you and allow our lives to be touched by the peace that truly only you can give and which the world can never take away. May sustain us and keep us this day and all the days to come through Jesus Christ. Amen. May we stand as we join together in the first verse of our closing hymn in our Black Hymnal 2191, Eternal Father, Strong to Save, for he does save all in his love. to as we receive our choral benediction. God's eternal embrace as you hold fast to one another's hand. Go now in peace to love and to serve through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.